grew. And now, last time when we were at the last school before, um, the kids were my absolute favorite. You guys are raising some awesome, awesome warriors for Christ, and I love them. So, and you know, we've also seen our, my four kids and uh, my three adopted kids, um, seeing them grow up in the church too. And I, I could say that it's had a pretty uh, significant impact on their life. So, uh, we're going to talk about, if you guys have a Bible, um, we're going to be in James 4 in the first uh, six verses today. I'm going to bounce around. I'm not a great uh, organizer of my thoughts. So that's one thing that I know about myself when it comes to teaching and preaching. People that are in our community group, people that um, you know, have seen me talk about things over the years know that I kind of just, just kind of speak uh, from my heart and the way that God um, ministers to me. And I love the Word of God. Um, I love it. Actually, I, I finally finished my annual plan uh, about eight weeks late. <laughs> so, um, but I can tell you, every time you go through it, it's an, it's an infinite word. God's infinite. Everything that he produces is going to be infinite. And his word is one of those things. So every time you read it, you can read the same scripture thousands of times, millions of times, you know, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce some new fruit. In fact, um, you cannot enter the presence of God, you cannot enter his word, you cannot enter prayer and leave and be the same person that you were when you showed up. It's impossible. Every time you are face to face with Christ, you are in his word, you enter to talk to him in prayer, you will leave different than you showed up. It may not be significant, you may not even know it right away, um, but I assure you, because of his power, because of his grace, um, you cannot leave the same person that, that you arrived. So before I get started, just a little bit about myself. There's some people here that uh, don't know me. I know a lot of you guys do know me, so sorry for repeating. Um, I've been married to my wonderful wife, Danielle, um, for over 25 years. I have, like I said, I have my four kids and I have my three uh, chosen kids, and actually I could probably choose a bunch of other kids too. Um, if they'll have me. So, um, so yeah, we have a lot of them. And um, we've been involved in ministry pretty much our entire marriage, and we've primarily done home group stuff, but I, I have been tasked to preach in the past. Um, I got ordained. Actually, I even got ordained in Oregon. Um, it cost me 50 bucks, and I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> so, so I'm qualified, you guys. So... And you can, get, you can get ordained too, ask me. You can go online, um, <laughs> like I did. So, um, so the kind of the title of the, the message is Don't Love the World and Don't Love Worldliness. So we're just going to, you want to throw James 4 up on the screen? And we'll just read it together. All right. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think 
The scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. But, big but here, he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, we just love you and we praise you. I just ask that your spirit would come and take your words and rest them deep in our hearts. As David said, that we might not sin against you. Um, lift up your people here, Lord, the people that seek you, the people that serve you, the people that want to do your will, and, and bless them. I just ask that you would just season all of our conversation, our words today with your precious spirit, and we pray all these things through your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, what, is, what is worldliness? And that's a, that's a question that I was trying to define to myself because it's kind of one of those, uh, you know, Christian words. You know, they're, it's like a, it's a vernacular that we don't realize that, we using as, that we're using as Christians. What is worldliness? And um, because obviously James, you know, was uh, troubled by it in the, in the church, this letter was written to uh, Christians in Israel and the Middle East, but it's applicable to all of us, obviously. It's in the word. Um, you know, what is it? So we'll talk about that. Um, the early church was messy and just as messy as we are, um, if not more in some respects. But we, we tend to glorify the early church uh, because of what we read in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. If you're not familiar with that, it says something to the effect of um, they had everything in common and they did everything together and everybody was giving what they had to the other as they had need and nobody was with any need because everybody was just living in complete unison and complete unity, um, submitted praying together every day. It says they prayed without ceasing together. And, and that's, that is the model for the church. Um, but shortly after, um, it, you know, it didn't universally last, I guess. And Paul actually wrote entire books. <laughs> um, and like James is writing here, wrote entire books about uh, correcting some of the messiness. I think it's fair to say. So when we look at the modern church, I don't think that we should look at it any differently than we look at the early church. Um, the, the modern church, we have people in our church right now that would fit exactly right in with that Acts chapter two, chapter three church. I see it all the time. Um, I see people giving, um, really sometimes giving out of their poverty. <laughs> um, but they give because they're compelled to give by the Lord. Um, so yeah, Paul rebuked and educated and, and James did that and taught them about the real grace of God. And really what James is addressing here are the worst uh, of all problems happening in the early church and that was worldliness. And what is worldliness? It's just, it was when Christians were behaving in a manner that left them indistinguishable from the world systems, characteristics, behaviors, and patterns of living from which Christ delivered them from. They were infighting, they were quarreling, they were living for pleasure, uh, character assassinating one another. And these are obviously all contrary to the way Jesus commanded us to live. And uh, in, in John 17, Jesus said that he wanted us to be in the world, but not of the world. But the worst problem of all was worldliness. So you, you think about what, uh, what, is, what, 
what is Jesus delivering us from? When we say things like worldliness, like what, what is it exactly that he's calling us out of? Have you guys ever thought about that? The, um, and when we say like systems of the world or behaviors, I mean, what do people do to, to get ahead in life? You know, they want to they want to conquer their job and they want to do everything they can to get to the top. That's what I see in in my career. Uh, people just climbing over the top of one another to reach some height um, to attain it. And 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 or, or in school and people, you know, you guys know, you guys see the the gossip and the slander. People smack talking other people when they're not around to essentially talk about somebody else's uh, faults in order to elevate themselves. Um, to make themselves look better, and that's just not where that's not where Jesus uh, has has called us to um, operate our lives. In the, in that word, in that first part of James four, um, it talks about what causes the fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That actually is uh, the word. There is the where we get the word hedonism um, in the in the Greek, and that. And that, uh, you know, hedonism is just living for pleasure, and especially pleasure of the senses. So, um, can we flip to Romans 12 real quick? See, this is, this is how it goes with me. I just kind of, I don't have any flow. I just kind of want to go to Romans 12. It says, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing will. So, you know, we talk, we, we've talked about a lot um, over the years here about like what, what is God's will for your life, essentially, and how do we find that? And I know young people, that's, a, that's always a question when you're you know, you're, you're growing up, you're thinking about what am I going to do with my life? What's, what, what career path am I going to take? And what, uh, you know, just generally speaking, what is my purpose? And I think Romans 12 is, is kind of Paul telling the Christian Romans like what that means. It says, in view of God's mercy, uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And in their context, what, what, did a, what was a sacrifice? You know, it was something offered on the altar to God. And in this case, in, the, in that context, it was, it was slain. Um, and, but in our context, we wanna, he wants us to be alive, alive in his spirit. And um, in that, uh, committing to that and living that way is how you, um, is how you find out and are able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. And how do we know what God's will is for our life when we're there? We're, we're, we're pressing into the scriptures. And so can we go to 1 Timothy 3.16? Oh, yeah. That is 2 Timothy. I'm sorry. I'll read it. That's, that was my bad text to the, to the team here. So I'll read 2 Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. So, we, we, read, we read these tough sections of scripture and we, we kind of, uh, we stumble over it because, you know, quite frankly, I don't see the quarreling and infighting in our church. 
I kind of see it generally speaking in the, in the church at large, maybe around the world. You have people online, if you're into the socials, into the, the book of faces and, and the tweets and stuff like that, you can see people just constantly attacking each other, almost like it's sport. And um, that's just not where God's called to. It's not, it's not productive for advancing the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of God. And uh, we're just called to something higher than that. So I didn't, I didn't put this scripture down, but um, in light of worldliness being related to how Christians treat one another, what did, what did Jesus say were the two, when the, the Pharisees were trying to trick him, and they said, you know, what are the two greatest commands? And I think we all know the first command is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the interesting thing about this that was, that was new that maybe they hadn't focused on, and, the, and he said the second is like it. And it says to love your brother as, himself, as yourself. And, it's, and he actually goes on further to say all the law and the prophets, all the scriptures hang on those two things. So when we define worldliness, you've got to think of it in context of how you interact with other Christians, I think. I think the scriptures are really clear on that. Amen. So in verse 2, it talks about you don't have um, because you do not ask God. Have any of you ever thought about this being a spiritual principle or almost like a spiritual law? You know, there's a, there, we, we tend to think in terms of spectrums and gray areas, but there are certain things in the scriptures that are pretty black and white, and I think this is one of them. Um, James speaks of it as a spiritual law, is that we do not have because we do not ask God. Um, and I'll, just to note is that even Jesus prayed, I mean, he was God in the flesh on the earth, and even he prayed and asked God for stuff. And, and think about that for a second. It's, it's, it's really profound if you think about how we interact in the world, things that we need, things that we want, that God knows that we need, things that he knows that we want, um, but somehow we don't think that we're, uh, we're not required the same way that the Son of God was. What are some of the things that, that Jesus prayed for? Well, with his disciples, he prayed to be glorified in God's presence. He prayed for his disciples to be protected from the evil one, that they may have the full measure of his joy. He's prayed that they would have joy. And he also prayed that they would be sanctified by Jesus' word. We go to John 17. I think even more interesting uh, is that Jesus prayed for us specifically, the Christians that would come after this generation, and he prayed for us, you, me. He actually had the foresight to think about us in the future. He knew that his kingdom was going to be everlasting, and he was asking Jesus, Jesus was asking God for us. And my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples that were with him right there in the moment. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that 
they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I just think that that is so profound. It's a scripture worth meditating on. If you ever think that something or some circumstance can pluck you out of the hand of Christ, it just is not gonna happen. Has there ever been a prayer that our Savior has prayed that has not come to pass? There hasn't, and there never will be. And I'll tell you, this goes back even into the Old Testament, that it was prophesied. When Jesus was a young man growing up, obviously he was reading the scriptures. It says that when they went to the temple for um, when he was young, and his parents left, and he stayed there, and he had to be about his father's business. You guys know the story. But one of the scriptures I bet that he was familiar with uh, was in Psalms chapter 2, verse 8. It might be on there. It might not. I can't remember if I told you to do it. So, but this is, this is a prophecy where, where God the Father is giving a prophecy through uh, through Solomon about Jesus. And it says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And really one of the first times that a specific word was given that God's salvation was not only going to be for the Jews, that it actually encompassed all the nations to the ends of the earth. Amen. Um, What, what is, when we come to God and we ask him in prayer, like what, what is it that we're asking for? And I think that we get this twisted a little bit sometimes. The purpose of prayer is not that we should come to a reluctant God and try to get him to um, acquiesce to our desires or to try to get him to line up with what we want. That, that, is, that is not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is that we are to align ourselves with God and, and his will for our lives. Amen. I'm trying to see because I've jumped around so much I've lost track of myself. Yeah, so in verse four, it talks about it being adulterous and hateful towards God to love the world, which is the systems and the desires from precisely what he is delivering us from. Press into God and allow himself to, re to reveal himself to, to you. You know, it talks about in verse five that God's a jealous God, and it goes, that's a, quoting a scripture from way back in the Bible in in Exodus chapter 20. Do we have that one? I can't remember if I told you to give that one as well. So, it says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And what, in the New Testament, God gives us a bunch of greats. His love is unconditional. His love will never end. There's nothing that you can do to, um, to make God dislike you or 
to make God hate you or to take, have him take you out of his hand. But he is a jealous God, and, and he yearns for our attention. And he, he yearns for our commitment to him, mostly for our good and for his glory. God gives us grace in verse 6. It says, but God gives us more grace and as much as we need. Um, and what is grace? It is just the, Kelly's talked about it a million times. Great, uh, Rick has as well. Simply put, grace is the unmerited, unearned love and favor of our God. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, I do remember writing that one down. It said, as God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's why God gives us his grace. That he's able to bless us abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all that we need, we'll abound in every good work. And then Romans 5.8 tells us how God gives us grace. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen, that's good news. And then in Titus 2.11, this is scripture intense, you guys. I'm flying all over the place here. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So if you ever wondered if you were included in that, you are. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So that's kind of the why, how, and who, and what, and who it's for. And in closing, just talk a little bit about what God actually wants. And I think, I think that in our culture, you know, we, we have, um, you know, we have Dancing with the Stars, we have America's Got Talent, we have American Idol, we have all these different things. And I think that in relationship to Christ, it makes us think that God wants superstars. God wants, he wants the flash, he wants the dance, and he wants the bang. But reality, he really just wants you, exactly the way you, you are. God fashioned you so specifically and young people, I'm talking to you right now. Don't worry about your, your purpose. God has crafted you so wonderfully, so beautifully, with such specific talents, with such specific skill sets. You may not see them, but God does. He knows. He's not wasting. He doesn't waste his creation. He doesn't waste his people. You have been given life experiences, some that are good, some that are not. You've been given circumstances that were out of your control. Um, you've, been, you've been dealt all kinds of things and opportunities as well. You've had opportunities to do things for the Lord. I mean, the church has given you an opportunity right now. I don't know if they want you guys working with the kids, but I would. <laughs> um, but really what God wants is your heart. He wants your commitment. Um, God just doesn't do anything um, in the lives of a Christian that doesn't have purpose. Every single thing that you come up to, I, I tell, I've been telling the young kids this for a while that have been a part of our, our group at home, and I love that they're there, but that God is a God of opportunity. He 
presents his will in your life if you're serving him through opportunity. What do you have the opportunity to do? Who do you have the opportunity to interact with? Where do you have opportunities to grow? God leads and guides you. The scriptures say that he goes out before us and he prepares the path. But then it says, right after that, it says that, and then he prepares your feet to walk on the path. He makes you capable. So he doesn't just lay the path and say, hey, go struggle along in the rocky cliffs. It actually says that he'll make your feet like the feet of a deer. And if you guys have ever seen a deer in the mountains, you know what I'm talking about. Those things can climb up a brick wall like nothing. And then you can't shoot them and put food on your table. Sorry, I'm a hunter. So... But God wants commitment. He doesn't want superstars. And that's it. It's so simple. Sometimes we convolute it and we overcomplicate it. Um, but God really wants us living in community with one another, building each other up in the grace and the faith of our Lord. He wants to get us back to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. He knows that there's going to be tons of things getting in our way and a lot of circumstances that are out of our control. But those circumstances shouldn't change the way that we interact with one another. Um, that's worldliness, quite frankly. That, that's what he's talking about here. James is a hardcore, if you guys have read the book of James, I tell you what, I struggled with this passage because James is hardcore. He is. You read that book and it is just, it's really hard to read because he's so to the point and in your, in your face. There's other words I could use, but he's just in it. But the, but the message is, is actually quite a bit... Um, more concise than that. It's really, the worldliness is how we interact with one another in love, in grace. And I can tell you that, young people, you are making a difference. You guys have made a difference in my life. You've made a difference in, in the people's lives uh, in your school. You've made, a, you've made a difference in the lives of other kids that are around you at church and everywhere you go. And uh, elders like myself, you're doing the same. I look around this room and I see I hardly see a person that hasn't significantly impacted my life. And I think that it would be good for us to take note of that. Um, I mean, Kelly, Rick, Paul, you guys are just so, and Pat, and my homie, Toph. <laughs> I'm telling you what, it's had a profound impact in my, in my faith and my life. And just, it would be good for us to remember that. When you guys are up here singing, it's powerful where two or three are gathered there, the Spirit of God is in the midst of you, and you're lifting us up so we can worship just like the angels in heaven, and they're here with us. So I'll close with that. So submit to his word, know his word, accept his grace. Stop, don't beat yourself up, don't be mean to yourself, don't talk mean to yourself. God loves you, but he actually likes you, like Kelly said. It's one of the more profound things I've ever heard, actually. And uh, I think it brought all of us to tears the first time we really considered it. God likes you. He actually really, really likes you. And the last thing is, is commit to him. Commit to doing it God's way. It's going to be the way that leads you. It's going to be the way that builds you up. It's going to be the way that guides you. Also, so you can fulfill his purposes. Paul urged us, live as a living sacrifice. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray.
God, thank you for thank you for your word, and thank you for covering over my stumbling and my lack of organization. Um, but your word is true. Your word is full of hope. It's full of grace. It's full of mercy. It's full of encouragement. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters as they go out through the week that they would know that they're important, that they're loved by you, that they're liked by you, that they can make an impact. Just pray that we would commit to you collectively and that we would commit to you individually. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.